Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquirers Funds. For regulatory reasons, we will not discuss any of the Acquirers Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquirers Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. To get this going. And we're live. It's, uh, as always, uh, not, not as always, we actually, we got it away live on time. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast. Bang. Yes. Bang. 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. If, you'd, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast and you'd like to listen to it live, if you go to the Acquirers Podcast YouTube channel, you can sign up and ask for a notification. It will send you an email and give you a link to click. When we go live, you can click that link and then you can come and watch it live. About a couple of hundred people typically catch it live <laughs> for what it's worth. Toby will text you when it's ready. <laughs> I'll let you know. What's happening, fellas? Just Ooh. loving life, man. Florida Florida life. I'm jealous of your fresh air, Bill. You should be jealous of my kids in school is what you should be jealous of. Yeah, oh, true. God, I'm so jealous of that. I'm getting used to gray skies with a red sun. I guess this is what the future looks like. Dude, it sounds kind of scary out there, huh? Sounds almost more ominous than values future. I saw somebody the other day said, uh, if you told people in 2019, if you showed them a picture of the sky and showed them everybody wearing masks and then told them they're not wearing the masks for the sky, that's for the pandemic. It's Blade Runner yeah. real world. Blade Runner 2020. It's a bizarre yeah, it's, world we're living in. Pearl, Victor sure. Victoria, BC, British Columbia gets all the smoke from uh, from the west <laughs> Sorry, coast guys. of the US without the fires. Get people in from everywhere. It's great. Could you maybe tell us the like, top 50? <laughs> New York, what? Portugal, Countries? Sweden, no, Dubai. Yeah, likes to read off. India. Shout out to all my VPNs. Philly, users. Stockholm. Tampa. Ooh, yeah. hey, Chapel Hill. Dubai. You'd think Ian Castle has something better to do with his day than make us think we have more than 10 listeners, but he does not. And I appreciate it, Ian. Thank you. Hi, Ian. A loyal listener. If uh, Ian's going to have some experts. I, I, we should probably get Ian on at some stage to comment about Nicola, which is going to be my topic today because it's a micro cap uh, swanning around with a $13 billion <laughs> market capitalization, which was 30. But we can talk about that in a little bit. That's going to be my topic. What are you talking about, gents? Jake, you want to go? Yeah, mine's uh, veggies are going to be, I've titled it Butterflies, Trust, and Ethical Collapse. Mm, appropriate for this market. Perhaps. Uh, and I think that I'll probably talk about my curate experience one last time. <laughs> Therapy session or what's the... <laughs> Could be crying curate tears. I need uh, somebody to sell me some... Uh, some uh, Tissues? Tissues to what? Yeah, to wipe my eyes. I should check it out. Probably get them delivered to your house from Amazon. Another stock we should have owned. Hey, no, I, it's Curate that I'm trying get to get through Curate. Up. You, you yeah, get like right. a you get a decorated box right from Curate. You get the some seashells on a wooden box that you put over the top of your yeah. tissues. Will Sean send you some some tissues? <laughs> I don't want to promise too much. Uh, Whose intro is it? 
I think we just did it, didn't we? Well, welcome to Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlyle. <laughs> As always, I'm joined by Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor. You've heard the topics. Who wants to go first? Do Jake. You want, do you want me to... Yeah, you, criti- you criticise by category and then I'll, I'll name the culprit after you're done. Everybody already knows what it's going to be. But let's go, JT. Okay. Most popular that's, segment. That's, Veggies up the front. That's fair. Uh, all right, so there are currently roughly 10,000 species that we know of who will parasitize ants. And what that means is they'll infiltrate the ants layer and get the ants to do all the work for them. And these species will just live off of the ants hard work. Uh, And, you know, anything from flies to beetles to even other ants will enslave ants. Uh, Now, the one I'm going to be talking about in particular is called the mountain alcon blue butterfly and when it's a caterpillar it will secrete these chemicals that are found on ant larvae so that the ants think that it's one of the larvae and it'll sit there and it even will mimic the actions like the movements of the larvae and the ant workers will actually rescue the caterpillars from danger they will feed them and in fact they will even slaughter their own young to feed the Alcon caterpillar uh, in times of food shortages. And the reason why is that the Alcon has figured out actually how to sing like the queen of the ants. So apparently ant queens make these, like they rub parts of their body together and make these like vibration sounds. And this, this caterpillar has figured out how to do the exact same thing by scraping different parts of its body together. And, and it sings the same tune. Uh, this nature is, is amazing, right? Horrifying, uh, so, I think is the word you're looking for there. No way, man. It's awesome. Uh, so the caterpillar has really it's learned how to hack the social structure of the ants and, and bend it to its will. Now, estimations are that roughly 1% of the general population of humans are potentially like psychopaths. And they they can be actually very charming you know if you hear stories about like ted bundy and is it it, it's possible that these they've learned how to sing the queen's tune uh to make people do the things that they want to do around them and even they they tend to use uh cause and effect statements more than average like so you know like they had to because like they give reasons like oh this had to happen because something which if you're familiar with the the psychological research on like cutting in line for the copier like just giving any reason at all uh will make people Mm. sort of turn off their their critical thinking anyway all right so we have it it is in the nature of these these caterpillars to to take advantage of the ant situation and for the same reason like you don't blame nature for that and i actually kind of don't blame the psychopaths who take advantage of humans like it's their nature as well However, we have we've designed systems to help us control for that. And we have even at the federal level, just federal only, we have the SEC, the DOJ, the FBI, the Federal Trade Commission, the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, Department of Labor, Better Business Bureau, the Fed. That's just federal level who are supposed to be looking out for us to protect us from these the human. I've gone into the matrix. Everybody's gone to the matrix. It's just you, dog. Just me. 
you, yeah, you just you just went into that. You were list, you were listing off all of the federal agencies. The one that you missed was the uh, the post office. They've got the uh, the, the armed guys here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the post office as well. Yeah, this was just like you know me off the top of my head. All of the different federal agencies who are supposed to be protecting us from from psychopaths, and what that doesn't count the state regulators, the local municipalities. Uh, okay, why why is this important? Well, trust is a huge, huge thing for capitalism and democracy. Like it lowers the cost of doing business, of transacting with each other when there when there is is a lot of trust, and it allows for non-zero sum interactions. So if if trust is completely lost in the system, then we end up in much more of what it looks like in like a prisoner's dilemma type of game theory, where you know you cheat the other person, it's all transactional. Uh, the costs are much higher to research who you should trust or not. So we need to make sure that trust stays and is, is kept. And we need, I guess, these other, the people who are supposed to be looking out for us to do a better job of that. Because it feels like, at least in my opinion, that uh, things have gotten a little bit post-truth, post uh <laughs> post fact like it just like it doesn't seem like anything matters anymore uh nobody's really looking out for as much as you would hope they would would, would you say though so, that there was a similar sort of the dot com the, the original dot com boom was a similar kind of thing right where the 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 promise of these things was so much greater than what was delivered in the short term at least maybe we have in fact delivered on that early promise but do you, i mean is that is that possible that we just go through these periods where it's all very new and exciting and we don't really know how to handicap it? Possible, yeah. I mean, there is, um, you know, if you read like uh, Carlotta Perez's book on technical or uh, technological revolutions and, you know, there's like a, a initial like effervescent phase where everyone gets excited about the technology and then that dies down. And then there's like an actual installation phase where it, things actually start working the way that they were promised. Um, Sorry, so but you, might, you might have been asking a rhetorical question. <laughs> I answered it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me uh, I'm going to pigeon or dovetail in with this uh a really nice book from the author's name is Marianne Jennings and it's called seven signs of ethical collapse. And it's nice because it, it gives you the causes of the ethical collapse. And then it also gives you, it weaves in these stories from WorldCom, Enron, Adelphia, Tyco, Health South, Sunbeam, Arthur Anderson, etc. Um, and, and then also actually gives like antidotes for, you know, if you were, worried about if you were running the culture of a company like what wh wh how could you help like ensure that you don't get ethical collapse so i'm going to run through these seven all right and and they should probably this might help uh for your segment to, to i'm going to so take we'll, some notes yeah so number one the pressure to maintain those numbers right like you always have to make the numbers that you promised um whether they're true or not potentially um number two uh, a culture of fear and silence. So, you know, stifling whistleblowers, uh, you know, firing people who dissent. Number three, youngins and a bigger than life CEO. Does that uh, describe any companies that <laughs> we might think of? Uh, number four, a weak board. I find this one interesting because like, uh, 
look at like Theranos. Everyone pointed to that like, God, look at all the people who are on this board. And they they had like, I don't know, three or four people who were secretary of state at some point, uh, like, you know, pretty prominent positions. But they, I don't think they had anyone who actually had like a PhD in, you know, blood chemistry no, or no domain expertise. No scientific. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're Henry Kissinger, I don't know how much you know about, you know, like micro platelets and measuring <laughs> measuring blood readings. Anyway, so the board doesn't necessarily just the names alone don't let that be a uh, t- fool you into a salt, false sense of security. Number five, conflicts of interest. And this would be, you know, self-dealing, family members working for the company, buying your cousin's failing uh, startup. Uh, I don't know what company that might be. Uh, number six, uh, innovation like no other. Where do we have that uh, all over the place right now? Okay. And number seven, goodness in some areas atones for evil in others. So maybe like, you know, saving the environment or... That's quite a checklist. Interplanetary species. I mean, there's lots of different options there. So anyway, those would be seven signs of ethical collapse to watch out for. Yeah, that's... um, I got to say it. Tesla, I I know this immediately gets me downvotes and people, people just hang up. But like, if that's not a list of the stuff that Tesla's doing, I don't know what is. The only thing that makes Tesla look good is Nikola. <laughs> so yeah, let's just go right into Toby's segment. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I I like that. I like that. I like the idea. Is I think that the uh, I think psychopaths are now known as sociopaths. So okay. I think that that's the DSM. They've updated the word. You're not allowed to call them psychopaths anymore because that that. Uh, My they, apologies they to all the psychopaths out there. <laughs> The, it, it's it's so funny that in the moment it's so all of these things sort of seem to make sense but given a few years distance from them i think that a lot of the things that are going to go on are going on now will look really silly and uh nicola i think is the most egregious example of it and it, i i've sort of haven't really followed it that closely until recently and I, I know that it's been around and it's been kind of comical in the background in the background I feel a little bit bad because it's they are trying to do something good. It is a good idea. Whether they can execute on that good idea is another question entirely. I don't know how charismatic the main guy is, but he's clear I mean it's clearly they've modeled it on Tesla, right? They're trying to create by they've they've taken Tesla's first name. They've they've created a an it's not battery based, but it's it's a hydrogen powered truck they're trying to save the environment it ticks many of these criteria gravity powered <laughs> well it turns out it turns out oh, never mind. so so i i don't want to i don't want to steal from your from your uh from your segment but i think it's useful to use your tools to 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 deal with my problem so should we do that so just just so i'm not yeah. entirely yeah, I stealing i don't have anything stuff. else smart to say so well you can maybe comment on what we're talking about here so nicola if everybody hasn't been following, that they're, they're quite a big company. They're, it's a twenty billion dollar or thirteen billion dollar enterprise today. Got about seven hundred million dollars in cash. What was uh, the revenue? A hundred grand, which it got, they got from installing. 
solar panels on the roof of the chairman and the CEO, I think. That's, that's roughly what's happened, something like that. I might be getting the people wrong, but that's roughly what has happened. 60 grand and 40 grand over a couple of years. They're trying to build these trucks that are going to run on hydrogen, laudable goal. Um, if it was a micro cap and they were doing these things, you'd sort of, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you hear so many stories about an entrepreneur gets a VC into his office and he h- hires a whole lot of people who are like extras who stand around looking really busy and like passing bits of paper and typing. And everybody says, well, that's, that's hustle, man. Like that's what it takes to get across the line. You get the investment, then you kind of figure it out. Theranos was trying to do the same thing, except they were dealing with people's lives and uh, at no stage they actually come up with a working prototype. These guys just, how is it any different from what anybody else is doing? Like they, they just say we've got a working truck. They didn't. The way they pretended that they did was they had it roll down a hill. And then they've raised some money and then now they really do have a couple of working prototypes from what I can tell. Like I've looked at a little video where the guy gets in and drives it around. Maybe there are some blokes pushing it at the back and they just put that. I don't know. Get back here. We got to make a marketing video. It it looks like it's, it looks like they've got something working now. They say that they've got, so this is the thing. Hindenburg is the short report. They've come out, they've come out with like 52 questions. Nicola's dealt with about 10 of them. The 52 questions, I'm not going to go through all of them, even, even their responses, just the ones that, so the truck rolled down the hill, not under its own power. They said they were buying this battery technology, turned out to be totally vaporware. Nicola's in the same boat, so they can't really get too upset about that, and they kind of hit it from everybody else. They say they've got this $3.5 billion truck order, but it comes from a company with $1.3 million in cash, so it was going to be difficult to to pay for it. And then... Got to tap those debt markets. Well, what would they what would they feed it with? Like, how do you pay Dude, the interest? Dude, that equipment finance money. But then they've got... I mean, that's... You joke, but that's a actually an important point of, like, how much of this stuff would the have been called bullshit on if you couldn't get easy monies so readily? Well, that's it. But then... That, so, but they've they've used all of this to raise like the according, the the last queue they had seven hundred million dollars in cash, so now that's real, right? You can get a prototype with seven hundred million dollars in cash. So then they've done a deal with GM where they've given them ten percent of the company, which is a twenty billion dollar enterprise at the time, two billion dollars. GM was a surprising deal to see. You know, from GM's perspective, it's not a bad idea, right? They they get the two billion dollars in cash to sign the deal. Oh, sorry, $2 billion in stock to sign the deal. Then they get yeah. paid to design and manufacture the, the truck or the badger or whatever it is that they're, they're, they're going to do for them. They're paid as they do it. Like From GM's perspective, they've got a partnership with this hot company and they're going to get paid to do the deal. I'd, I wouldn't fault them for doing that. They're not like, it's not like a, they're not tying up any more it's closely. It's AOL Time Warner. What Nicola goes and tells everybody about the deal is a different matter to what how GM views the deal, and you know it's it, all of these things are grey. So, from my perspective, like it's a if it was a microcap and it was making all these moves, you'd say this is like these guys have got some hustle. Maybe they're going to get there. Maybe they're going to get there. Maybe this is something that you want to take a a flyer on. And then you go and look at the market cap, and it's as if they've already done it. It's as if they've been doing it for a decade. Yes. Well, you know, you just discount what you think that they're going to do in the future at zero and well, boom. Infinity. That's it. That's it. That's the only way to justify it, right? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand any of this stuff, man. But what's, what's like, to understand? 
Well, I I don't understand. I guess there's probably some theory out there that makes it worth it. And I, I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I'm not 100% sure what is different about that than some of the other things that I read. Uh, now, that said, uh, you know, many of these other companies have a working product. Uh, I don't I don't discount that. But prototype. Um, yeah, it just I guess it seems to me that uh, this is maybe because I don't understand what I'm talking about. And I will freely admit that. But <laughs> man, this is a podcast. Like, uh, that's what you're about to do. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand that. But it just this sort of windy, feels sir. like generally speaking, um, the narrative game is like it's all that matters. It, it it certainly seems like it's pretty important right now. You let don't me, have to deliver. Let me make a let me make a flimsy counter argument. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's imagine that there is a kind of natural rate of technological progress that sort of just humans tinkering in garages will come up with. What if all of this cheap money and uh, you know kind of lack of lack of criticism, lack of uh, kind of caring about it actually working is almost like overclocking that technological progress that we would normally have. And what if, you know, like it's sort of like throwing more balls into the into the lottery and we like pull one out that happens to like actually change the whole game. And maybe like maybe they have some hydrogen breakthrough that that completely revolutionizes how humans move atoms around the earth. Well, maybe it was worth like printing all this bullshit money and uh, you know being able to borrow and like you know rate dividing everything by zero uh, rates and I don't know like maybe that's maybe that's good for us who knows maybe and maybe just like join them instead of crying about it. Well, yeah. I my I, I sort of Especially thought I was, when it's the first inning. I sort of thought I was making that the, the counter argument. Like I'm sort of like, we could I could talk to Ian, like Ian. Kessel would have a much better kind of uh, way of diligencing something like uh, like uh, Nicola than I would. But from my my sort of non you know VC listed VC style, I, I look at it and I think like it does have some of the ingredients that you would need to make this thing succeed. They've got the cash, they've got a big partner, they've got a couple of working prototypes. Now they seem to kind of they've, they're doing stuff. But I just I'm not going to take a swing at this thing at 13 billion dollars. Like I wouldn't take a swing at it at 1.3 billion dollars. You know, you have my boy Ubin out there, well, yeah. long hair and all. Man, yeah. come on, Jeff, tighten it up. He's a very charismatic, good-looking bloke. And he also did Valiant, so got to be careful Part of there. Story. Yeah. I still like him, but this is this is tough. This is strike two and the potential frauds. But maybe then again, that like their deal is different too. Like they get in super, super early, you know, pre in the spec before it goes through it. Like their their payoff looks different to everybody else's. They're like, yeah, you know, this many of the things that I listed at a much, much lower valuation. You'd be like, yeah, I'll take a go. I'll have a swing at that. Yep. My whole objection to this is the pyramid scheme. That's it. It can work. My whole objection is the valuation. I'm just like, this is nuts. It's crazy. Even if everything works, it's too exp- it's too expensive. Dude, haven't you? Been I on find Twitter? that some of this stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, valuation doesn't matter anymore until it does. I find some of this stuff. Uh, if I didn't look at valuation, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. So sometimes I just don't look. 
sometimes the valuation of things uh, offends me to the point that I close my mind, and that's not a very good habit. Well, well, let, let, let me turn this around. Let's let's talk about Tesla for a moment because I'm always critical of Tesla, but I should say that I, I have enormous respect for Musk. I think he's one of the best entrepreneurs that we've seen for generations. I think Tesla is a real business with gigantic amounts of revenue, doing something original, producing cars that people absolutely lust after, and doing a lot of other interesting things. I got a lot of respect for that enterprise, for that man, the issue that I have is that the valuation is bananas. Yeah. Well, it was bananas ten right. x ago. That's true. I mean, it could, I don't know. It might be worth a hundred bucks. Mean, I don't know. I'm open to the idea that the valuation was somewhat reasonable before. Before uh, it ran up ten times. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. is that because it's run up ten times? Yeah. Exactly. No, I. I mean, everything's reasonable. Look, no, that's not true. I, I think that um, probably a bias that uh, I have had in the past is like there's there is an argument to the company is running subscale, right? It's got to invest in growth. You can't really value it on what it is today. I mean, I get that. It's uncomfortable, and I think that it's a game that uh, probably not too many people can play well. But there are like thoughtful people that thought, Tesla was undervalued, right? I mean, Vitaly was one of them, and he was right. So there has been a point where I have been blind to the valuation and I've been wrong. I, I think that that's like objectively okay to say. I still think it's a little bit absurd right now. I think Vitaly but, thinks yeah, it's a little bit absurd right now. Yeah, run the counter to that, though. And in March, had things completely blown up, and it had like, of course, that was too expensive then because like they were subscale. They were. Uh, yeah, they couldn't. They had to. They were going to have to deploy too much capital to catch up with everyone else. There's too much competition coming in the EV space for them to make any money. Like all those same things would have been said and true, and you and would have been good justifications for why it was down ninety percent from where there, and it went the other direction, right? So, I don't know. It's I agree it's with so you that it's subscale. They, to, they've got to finance it. They've still got to finance it. I mean, now it's getting a little bit easier. They get China builds the factories. They got five billion dollars in cash. I mean, it's. I'm starting like that. It, it has sort of self-reflect. It's. It does have a very chunky valuation. The problem is that its price is way, way over that chunky valuation, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. And I've been completely wrong for for a long time now. So take that. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I think that's fair. <sighs> All right, BB. Let's do yours. You, you come to the confessional, brother. Tell us what's no, happened. First of all, I see some some comments that I think I'm a rapper. Rappers don't wear Titleist hats. <laughs> I just have terrible hair. Well, they maybe should, but I'm just saying, like, I, I need a haircut bad, and I can't get in until Thursday, so I can't show it off right now. Don't let that hold you back, mate. Look, I get the, I get the, the, the Biff curls going. Yeah, but you just you have that good look, just naturally. I need to work at this. Anyway, uh... No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, like I put out my curate right up. Um, it's the first idea that I have. That was good, like, by the way. Check that out, pe people. Oh, well, thank you. Um, it's the first idea that I've had that's like, I, I think, pretty objectively contrarian. I mean, I know that there's like some curate bulls that like it, but I think if you look at the way that it's trading today, the market continues to view it as an overlevered entity. Um, I tried to address why I'm comfortable holding it. 
uh, in the event that this like this situation today did not uh, result in the stock getting a bid. I tried to like articulate why I am okay holding it for a while. Um, I guess it's just been an interesting experience to have some attention um, and also be so public about something. It's uh, it has not been the most emotionally easy, uh, you know, sort of like thing to live through. So it's just been an interesting. I see why some of these guys are like, I'm just not going to talk about my positions anymore. I'm not going to do this shit. Like, I don't need to be pinged in my DM box about why you should own it. Like, you don't like it, don't own it. I could care less. Uh, so I and I and I don't mean that in a way like, don't ask me questions. That's not the point, right? But um, just a lot of the commentary I don't think is particularly helpful to my psyche. Uh, and then like, and then, and then the feeling of having to defend something or whatever, like it's, it's just, it's interesting to live out something right now that gives me some insight into why these guys are like, ah, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I, it has never been a problem before because no one ever gave a shit what I, <laughs> I don't know who's. Are you pounding it in, with as Munger would say? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I could articulate why this thing's a zero. Like, I mean, I really can. Um, I I guess that what I the issue that I don't think that people uh, the disconnect in the conversation that I'm having with people is a lot of people are saying, "Well, what does this look like in ten years?" And my whole comment is like. I think you're having a conversation. If we are 10 years from now and this entity is still going, my money is out. Like, I'm fine. I mean, by then I basically have an option. Uh, so the real question to me is why can this business continue to perform at a level similar or where it is for the next four to five years? And I tried to address, basically, it's a bet on customer habit, right? Now, if a bunch of... 50 to 60 year old women change their habits over the next three to four years, I got big problems, um, especially with that much debt. And I think that that is a valid criticism. And I think that the debt is real, uh, you know, and, and I don't think that it should be dismissed. That said, um, you know, like most, I, I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think that most of Buffett's like really contrarian bets came from a psychological edge and like a consumer behavior bet and like i don't know i wrote up facebook whenever it was being puked a couple years ago like that was all just a psychological thesis um this is sort of the same thing in a very different wrapper why is it a different what why, why is it what's the psychological element well, it's just how like these women uh, that love this business, like love this business. I mean, they they visit the website 35 times a month or 33 times a month. They uh, visit the TV channel 18 times a month. They are ordering anywhere between 68 and 72 items a year at an average spend of 50 bucks an item. Like that is really habitual. Um, and yeah, I think that you got a problem if the bundle erodes, right? You're it has historically been their customer acquisition funnel and that has helped. I think it would be hard pressed to convince me that, you know, the 50 plus age group is cutting the cord, uh, at a rapid clip. I think you're probably seeing that among younger users and the data supports that. Uh, 
So I just living with their parents. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, I was on Netflix last night. Boy, is there a lot of shit on that. Like I couldn't find anything to watch. It's unwatchable. I almost thought about closing it out last night for that reason. It was amazing how long I was just clicking and I was like, there is nothing that I have any desire to click on here. But the kids watch it. That's why you can never get rid of it. That's so, right. Uh, that's they the boat that I'm in. strong kids stuff. The kids don't care. Like kids, kids will just watch garbage for hours. That's, that's what I've discovered. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, Netflix does have some good fr- kids franchises, but I am, I'm full blown with you. They need to put out something that makes me want to watch it. Um, so anyway, I don't know uh, how I got diverted. But let's talk about QRT. Let's talk about Curate for a moment because I really do like it. Uh, it's cheap. It's in the Acquirer's multiple screen. Uh, you can go and do further analysis on it that shows that it's it's undervalued. Like it's it's really really cheap. The question is a uh, what does that business look like over the next decade? And I think one thing one way that I think about it is that it's just this content monetization machine that has it ha- it. it it goes up over vari- over a variety of channels. One of them is television. One of them is the internet. I think they're almost. It's it's. I think it's an incredibly good business. The issues are it's carrying some debt. It's paid out some cash today, along with some prefs. But then you've got the absolute goat capital allocators in there, the Liberty Complex, Malone, and those guys. Like, I I think that's one of the more asymmetric bets in the market right now. I don't have a position, so I can kind of talk about it like this pretty freely. But I came very close to getting a position on. The issue is uh, this payment makes it difficult for me because of the way my thing is structured. But um, I I really like Curate as one of the better ideas out there right now. Yeah, I mean, I look, I don't... This The whole thing can blow up, right? I mean, when you're dealing with that much debt, if consumer behavior changes meaningfully, you got a donut. Uh, so that's a real problem. Do you think that they to, would let that happen? I think that they'll try everything they can not to. And I think that the habitual uh, patterns of uh, a group of women that skews a little bit older is why I'm comfortable holding the stock. And, you know, I mean, they refinanced the 2022 debt. They kicked it out to 2028. Uh, The appetite is there for the 2023 debt, but they can't retire it because the make whole plus the premium that it trades at, according to somebody that helped me work on it, it it would cost them $109 per $100 to retire it, right? So on $750 million, you're talking about a lot of money, right? It's over $60 million of cash flow that they really don't need to use today to retire the debt just to make, you know, people a little bit more comfortable. And uh, from my perspective, if they can get the 2023 debt refied, you're looking at a lot of free cash flow to common equity who can then choose to either pay down debt and reduce the risk to the entity, or if the stock just trades at like stupid cheap prices, they could buy in shares if they think that it's worth sort of playing the game of staying highly levered. The reason I think that they went with the preferred is they basically shrunk the equity base down to two and a half billion and they they aren't restricted like the the debt you have restricted payments if your consolidated net leverage gets in excess of three and a half times right then you start to not be able to distribute the cash this preferred sort of allows you to get a little bit more juice in the equity without having those covenants and that's what i think these guys are thinking and 
I, everyone is saying to me, like, well, Malone doesn't believe in the entity and he doesn't take cash out of stuff. And I, I mean, I sort of agree that generally he doesn't. But if somebody said to me, like, well, you could shrink your equity by 45%, reduce the duration of the buyback from eight years to three and a half years. And by the way, you could also get some cash out and you could also have a, you know, yielding 8%, uh, you know, uh, instrument to your estate if you were to pass away. Like, I think that that might be something that I would prefer more than just like blowing buybacks into the wind in a stock price that's just like cratering. I mean, I, I might like try something interesting. Um, so that's how I see it. Well, I mean, you know, it, I could be the real sucker here, but um, now I'm just sort of, I, I had sized it uh, larger going into the event because I thought it might catch a bid. I'm, I'm definitely not going to change that uh, until I this sort of settles out. But the, the only other question is, how big of a position do you want something like this to, uh, you know, be a part of the portfolio when it's got that much debt? My gut says somewhere between 5 and 10%, but I don't know exactly where that's going to land for me. If you had to keep only one of the securities, which one would you keep the preferred? The common. The common. The common. I just think the risk-reward in the common. Gambler. No, it's not even that. I just, like, just look, I, I don't understand. I mean, we, we have talked about this over and over ad nauseum. Like, I don't understand what some of this, the debt, like, to me, the preferred is one step away from the debt. And I understand why, if you had a mandate, like why you would want the preferred. But holding 10-year paper on this entity to get 8%, like, I, I mean, in what world is the common not okay and the preferred is okay? I, I just don't. That I don't think you have two ways out in the preferred. I don't even uh, think somebody's sh- debt shrinking, has two ways Shrinking out. cash flow from operations will... It's going to go to the preferred first, right? So, yeah, but I mean, I don't know, man. I think, uh, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. You are right. It is definitively superior in the capital structure. Uh, but I just, I think your risk reward is much, much better in the common. You want that last tranche. Yeah. Well, especially if they could shrink the share count by, you know, I think realistically 15% a year, like, you know, that can get pretty interesting. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the free cash flow? Uh, I don't really know off the top of my head. I underwrote like about a billion a year. Yeah. I wrote, I underwrote a little bit lower than that. I I think sustainably 500 to 700 million to the common equity after the preferred dividend. Oh, after preferred. Yeah. And yeah. So the EV after the preferred, $6.6 Six point six billion dollars uh, in debt. Yeah, you're looking at uh, I don't know what it is today, but call it a ten billion dollar enterprise, for lack of yeah. a better term, on two billion of EBITDA and a whole bunch of the EBITDA goes to interest expense. Your market cap, you're looking at two and a half billion on what I think is five hundred million to seven hundred million, and I think it's sustainable for the reasons that I underwrote. Um, now I could be really wrong, right? And if I am, it could suck. That's why the sizing sort of matters here. But you're also getting, it's just, we, we, like, the market has just stopped thinking about this, but you're getting, you're getting the right odds to put the bet on. I think, I hope it matters, right? I mean, maybe it doesn't matter anymore. Well, in the short term, what or this market, what this market likes wrong. in the short term is it wants 
really high growth and that's it. And it doesn't matter where the valuation is. And they just look story. at a really high growth. Yeah, the, good, the story has to match the growth. And nothing else matters. That's Although what, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what true. I wouldn't own. Like I'm looking at the debt distribution right now. Forget about the 2068 that retail bought. That's crazy shit. But uh, like the, 20, the 2046 right now, I mean, like I would not – I wouldn't own that. I guess it's convertible. But they got like 26. 20... Jesus, we might not even we might be living on Mars by then. Yeah, dude, you got like 2038 or wait, what is this? 2043. I mean, I don't know, yielding like 6 or so. Like I don't understand that at is all. Is that in dollars or Bitcoin? Well, that's the thing, right? We I might mean, not it... have dollars anymore by 2046. So, and then the other thing that I would argue, and I mean, I know that this is a dangerous way to think because if everything is cross defaulted and you're called, you got to pay it all up front. But like in a screen, that 2043, the 2046, and the 2068 debt shows up as like dollars today. That's not really a dollar today, is it? You're no. saying that the bullet shows up as a dollar today. The, the the big the big payment shows up as a dollar today, whereas you say it's inflated away by the time you get out to 2068. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I agree that that it does count against the enterprise value, and if you needed to pay off all the debt, like you would need to pay everything off today. So, like, there's merit to the argument that it should count as a dollar, but I also think there's merit to the argument of like, then again, it's not due till 2068. Some of them, yep. Not all. Throw any questions, guys. Uh, Question time. Let's do it. Got about 15 minutes, a little bit more than 15, 19 minutes. Anyway, if everybody's looking at the stock price today, the reason it looks like it's so off is they had a big distribution. Yeah, so I, th- I think what's happening is- It has not traded well. It's down, yeah. and then, because this is the type of market for it, stuff that's down just gets sold, yeah. regardless of what's happened. Well, I mean, look, people think it's over-levered. I get it. Um, but that's but that's what you to, want. Like, if, where interest rates are zero and we're printing well, all the time. Over-levered, if it was over-levered yesterday, then as the common, it's definitely over-levered today. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I do think, like, one of the things that's sort of interesting to live through is uh, it's the old, like, the market doesn't give a shit that you own it. You know, like, if, it, if they thought it was over-levered yesterday, I... I'm not, I guess the question that I'd have for myself is like, why did I actually think it would trade strong today on the event? Because, well, you thought, I thought really there was a nothing ri- different. Dude, I thought there was a risk that, that might happen. Though, I mean, I thought, it, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was possible. I thought it could trade really. So I thought people would be like, oh, hang on, this is real. They're actually going to go and do all this stuff. This could trade up. Still could. I mean, I mean you're talking about five hours of trading, right? But when does SP inclusion happen? <laughs> that's going to be the not after this. Not after this. <laughs> okay. Because uh, that's the only thing that really matters. I got a, that's a good point. I got a question for you, JT. Uh, what's going on with the power in, in California? Uh, well, I, <clears throat> I'm not as connected to it as I as I once was. Obviously, working in the industry, but um, you know, in general, it's kind of a fragile situation when we put on these they call them renewable portfolio standards. So we had to have a certain amount of our power delivered by green energy, which unfortunately is, can often be intermittent. Um, So if it's smoky out, uh, maybe the solar panels aren't working as well as they normally would. 
which both impacts the utility scale solar, which is like the, the ones out in the like fields that you drive by these giant, you know, solar panels. Um, but also your local residential ones also are impacted. So they then will be drawing harder on the grid at that point. Right. So, uh, there's a lot of solar sort of what they call behind the meter that you can't, you don't really know how much power they're producing there. Uh, and then when they go away and they want power from the grid, all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's a lot more than we were expecting. Um, that's the, the other problem. Solar. That, yeah. Right. And like commercial. Uh, but the other problem is that, you know, California is very dependent upon, uh, or in times of high demand on power from outside of the state. So they're, they, you know, they import a lot from the Northwest, which has uh, a lot of hydropower and, and also renewables. Um, so when there is, when there are fires, they happen to be in typically more rural, like, you know, mountainous type of areas. And those power lines come through areas that happen to often burn down and so those those lines can go out of service. And so now, all right, shoot, what do we do? Like we can't get power from outside. We don't have enough internal generation necessarily. And you have to remember too that like, you know, to get on some of these uh, some of these you know big turbines, it will take it can take like five days to get it up to the to the right because they have to go through certain temperature ranges at the right speed uh, to not like you know crack the machinery. So. Uh, it's not just like, oh, well, hey, just go turn the light switch on and like flip that that power plant on. Like some of these have very long lead times. And so if the, if it's unexpected, uh, you can get caught with your pants down relatively easily. So uh, the other thing that's happening is that, you know, PG&E has been uh, called out and sued uh, for starting a lot of fires. And some of that, you know, I I don't want to get into the politics of it, but there could be a bit of punitive action on their part uh, saying like, well, like, all right. I mean, you guys are going to sue us for like causing these fires, but meanwhile, like, you know, you didn't do a very good job of, you know, managing the, the forest and like, it was all dry tender, ready to go. And we don't have enough probably natural burns so that it builds up into these giant conflagrations. So you blame us for the spark, but it was you who let the fuel get so out of control. Uh, so just, we don't want to get sued anymore. So if it's even close, like if winds are high, we're going to shut your power off because we mm. can't afford to take that risk. Mm. Well, all right. I mean, that's the world that we've kind of let it evolve into. So th that's what's happening. My understanding of what the power grid has looked like in California lately. That's a terrifying insight. I think I would have rather not known. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you're screwed. So here's the next question. Uh, did you guys, Chamath, he's uh, got another SPAC. It's going to buy Open Door. You guys got any thoughts on that? I don't have any that are worth sharing. I don't even know what Open Door is or does. They buy. So I, I watched his presentation. Didn't really know much about it beforehand. Watched his presentation this morning on CNBC. Uh, one thing, Chamath is a superb presenter of his ideas. Yeah. He gave it like he just went through the bullet points for why the acquisition makes sense. It's like four point eight billion dollars in revs this year. By twenty twenty three, it's like nine point eight. Um, sure. They're paying one times revs this year, so 4.8. They're paying 0.5 times revs in 2023, assuming they can get there. Basically, that buying a house is a is a nightmare. So they've 
found a way to use technology. You you tell them that you want your house bought. They give you a pitch in three days. In they give you a bid in three days in cash. You can hit the bid. Then they've got all these other things they can sell on it. Who's buying the house? They are. Or they are. The, that's the big problem. In my, that's that's where I was going to get to too. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like what Zillow tried to do, isn't it? That's the. I mean, I got to look into it, but. I, I, I only I only know what Chamath said, but the immediate thing that I thought was, gee, you're going to have a lot of house inventory there. Hope you're right on those uh, pricings. And I'm guessing the way you do it is you just come in with a lowball bid, all cash. But then they've got this back end of stuff they can mortgage origination, do all these other things. They, they say they can get financing cheaply. Chamath presents really, really so well. Super, super smart presentation. And then he, they listed out all the other things that he'd pitched, and it was like Bitcoin in 2012. It might have been Tesla in 2016 or something like that. Facebook in like 2018. Like the guy's hit rate is uh, high. Like I don't think he's missed. So it's worth thinking about. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily buy it. Like I'll, I'll buy it when it trades down 50%. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I think if he's right, like I'll do just fine in IAC. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know those guys and I've watched them for a while and, like I think if he if his general thesis that everything's moving online is correct, then Angie should do pretty well, and that's just how I'm a little bit more comfortable. I see a couple of these things about uh, Buffett buying Snowflake. I guess like here's here's the thing that I would just say about these IPOs and who first of all it looks like a great company. I have no idea. I'm supposed to get on the phone with somebody on Friday that's going to explain the tech to me and why it's needed. I understand there's a lot of data stuff that goes on in the cloud and they help do that. That's about as specific as I can get. Uh, if it grows, I think Berkshire is probably going to do great. The probability that uh, I will a be able to obtain that entity at the same price that Berkshire did is zero. So uh, that matters. And I think that Berkshire is probably right. They probably have a ton of businesses that use that that platform. And that's why they're doing it. It sucks it, they can't buy more. But that's a function of their size. What are they sticking $500 million in? I think it's maybe even like 250 It might have been sized up. They used to be a lot of money. That, that rounds to zero at Berkshire headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the big it's good knock, for right? stories and it's good for, good for a lot of articles and hand-wringing. If it 10Xs, you know, then it's real money. Uh, is it though? Still not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, not really. Yeah. That's the difference between IRR and actual returns. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. There was a question here that I kind of I jumped over, but. Uh, but... Oh, shit. Non Gap Mike listens. What's up, Mike? Yeah, welcome, Mike. I, I've, he's got a nice comment up here on the screen. I'll read it out for the uh, fellas at home. Chamath has a nice feel for trends. Dorsey's similar. Doesn't mean their moves turn out perfect, but I like the way they look at things. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah. That's why I sort of, I mean, for me, like IAC is just something that I can be a little bit more comfortable with because, I mean, to be totally honest, I sort of trust those guys a little bit more than, than I trust Chamath. Like that dude sat on stage and was like, get as much money as you possibly can so that you can do, like, Insightful. that's not the kind of, like, why do I want to give that guy that kind of money? Like, I, even if IAC thinks it, uh, articulating it. it is different. So I don't know, he just feels too slick to me, which is cool. Like I, you know, if he changes the world, that's great. He just doesn't have to do it with me as his partner. 
Berkshire versus S&P 500. Mm, I don't know. Anybody want to take a go at that? Looking backwards or forward? No, from here. Which one would you rather own? I I think Berkshire's got a real shot because I think Ted and Todd are going to evolve the business in a positive manner. And I think that you give me a company that has that ethos and that focus on capital allocation and over time it'll work out well. I don't know that I love the current collection of businesses versus the businesses in the S&P, but then you got valuation and like if this Apple valuation is real the rest of Berkshire is dirt cheap, in my opinion. So I guess over a long enough time horizon, like maybe the S&P gets it, but I think that they'll be able to evolve in a way where they would be able to catch whatever the S&P would be able to catch on them, if that makes any sense. JT? I, I agree, and I think uh, it's a – in my mind, it's a bit of a function of cash flow now versus story of cash flow later and if you believe this if the story still matters more than the actual cash flow if the if the two birds in the bush are continue to be worth more than the one in the hand then then brickshire lags the S&P. however if it if for whatever reason the world kind of goes back to that uh, you know whether that means interest rates are higher or whatever uh who knows but then brickshire has a lot of birds in the hand today already and they look pretty cheap and attractive right here and you know the S&P I would say I mean it's that chart about how the t the biggest five companies have carried all the returns basically over the last five years um, you know if you don't get that kind of amazing repeat performance out of them which goes against a lot of base rates is it unusual um, not not impossible is that unusual for the S&P 500 to be that driven by a handful of companies. Isn't that the way it always is? I don't know what, I, I don't know how that changes historically uh, and how this is relative. I mean, you, you hear about time periods which uh, make you think that this is a an odd time, like, you know, late 1960s where it was the nifty 50, we're carrying it. Um, I, I don't know. What but, about the fact that Warren has said, uh... <laughs> S&P 500. Well, I don't think that... I, I don't know that he said that. Uh, I, I... Look, he I, said I it, think... He said it, but he didn't do it. So. Yeah. And I think he just means, like, if you don't want to pay attention. Like, you're going to have to watch Berkshire. You got to watch how these guys invest. What I'll tell you is, like, the Kroger investment, I know that it's not that sexy. That was a pretty good investment. That restoration hardware investment when they made it, that required a lot of creativity. They're getting early on Snowflake. Like, I get that maybe some of that stuff doesn't make some of the people that are like used to the Buffett type investments that excited, but it does indicate that uh, the way that the company may evolve could really surprise some people. And, I, you know, I just, that utility business is so damn good and Geico is so good and the insurance business is so competitively advantaged that like I, yeah, the railroad too that thing is like yeah that's, that's probably right. worth north of 100 billion right yeah so I just don't know um, I mean I get why people think that it's too big I've said it too at times but I you know 
I mean, I'm looking at my portfolio right now. It's the biggest position I have. So I obviously So believe... you don't really have to say anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you look at Berkshire versus the S&P 500, it's got higher return on invested capital than the S&P 500 and it trades more cheaply. So for me, it's easy that it's going to be Berkshire. You know, who knows really what happens with... There's lots of silly things can happen with the share price, but in terms of the fundamentals, I think it's Berkshire. And then well, what got... somebody would say to you, though, is like five years out, the return on the invested capital of the S&P is going to exceed Berkshire because of the software that grows, right? I mean, that uh, would be the devil's advocate argument. I don't know let's if it's see. true. Let's see. Selling. Only because you're overstating return on invested capital because you're not counting all the intangible yeah, let's capital. See. And yeah. then I think that I prefer Ted and Todd to the S&P 500 committee. And uh, as evidence for that, I give you the fact that the S&P 500 didn't include Tesla. <laughs> Idiots. Well, I'll tell you, you know what's interesting? This this sort of, I'm going to take it back to Curate real quick, but um, there's a tension between growth and like profit today, right? And and like part of, I think, I think Liberty and, and Sirius XM got outflanked by Spotify a little bit. I don't know that they could have ever owned Spotify. Like Spotify's global, Sirius XM is the US, but they do have sort of like a little bit of um there's some arrogance in their like we harvest cash flow today and everybody else is doing something stupid in the future and on something like curate i actually think that that reduces your downside because the cash flow that comes in today can be used to get returned to you i could see how it also increases the probability of a bad outcome down the road because you can get outflanked i don't get the sense that berkshire has the same problem, but I I wonder if some of those businesses could have been a little bit better if, I don't know, they were allowed to invest a little bit more frivolously. But the other side of that is like, this is business and you're in it to make money and they make money. So it's just well, sort I of mean, an interesting Buffett's tension called between out for that for yeah. like under investing in like Dairy Queen uh, and kind of letting it decay. Yeah. And other businesses within there. But yeah, I don't know. Fellas, we've got a super chat. Uh, it's yes. from Anti Ville Cohonen. Sorry if I've mangled that. Five euros, so it's real money. Uh, have you backtested, yeah. tried to use gross profitability to screen out, not combine, the worst companies instead of FS score? So I think we discussed this in Quantitative Value, which came out in 2012. We looked at uh, Novi Marx's gross profitability. It does fine. It's... it's um, it's as good as any other quality metric at identifying uh, high-quality companies. The question is the sustainability. I prefer gross profitability to the other metrics, but it does fine. Uh, to the specific question, do we use it to screen out, not combine the worst companies? Yeah, so y you can use, if you, if you create five quintiles of um, companies ranked on gross profitability, the worst ones tend to do gross profitability scaled to total assets the worst ones tend to not do very well and so you want to kind of avoid the worst but aside from that there's no real advantage to buying the best makes sense you're you basically i mean gross profit to total assets i, I just immediately go to commodity companies it's funny right? that's like, what it picks like up dairy producers like corn why do you, traders, why do you, why do like you intuitively think that because that's right Oh, it's just like super thin margins and you just need it's all a throughput business and it's yeah. just it's just garbage I mean, those are great businesses to lend money to, horrible businesses to own the equity in. Oil producers, it'll, it'll pull up a whole lot of oil producers right now. Sorry, JT. Yeah, for sure. I've, uh, I've thought about 
or this is how my thinking's kind of evolved on there. Like when I think about the gross profit, that to me talks about the quality of the business. And then below that in the income statement tells me about the quality of the management. Yeah, so for you sure. kind of get the, the hand that you're dealt a little bit as a manager in the upper part of the income statement. Um, and that's the, you know, Buffett's quote about changing your leaky rowboat. Uh, if it's, if it's, <laughs> if thing. it's too leaky people think and then below that is fog. talent. The problem that I have with these hyper growth companies is to your, to your exact point, what I find very difficult to parse and it's probably cause I'm just too stupid to do it is so the gross profit, everybody can see it's a great company. But like, there's so much SGNA in that that I don't know how these guys are going to manage when the company is slower growth. And part of me says, well, screw it, just ride the Momo train until it breaks, and then like almost sell the stock when it gets below a 200-day moving average. That way, you're out. Um, like, that's not actually a dumb strategy in my mind. Uh, but to your point, like, I don't know that I have a good sense of whether or not they can manage through a tough period because a lot of this growth has been. So good, uh, which may be silly of me, but I, I think you have a really good point there on on gross profit and our operating margin and getting insight. Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, they say growth hides all sins, right? And so you can hide the sins of a sloppy run business and below that income, you know, down in the lower part of the income statement, if you just keep growing that top line, no one seems to care as much that you're being wasteful. However... Uh, God, you guys hear, I think it's Malbosen talking about, um, for the S and P 500 technology companies, the, uh, 20 or is 18% of cash flow from operations is eaten up by stock based yeah, compensation. Sure, yeah. yeah. 18% of the I cash know. flow. Holy cow. That is like, that's a big number. It hasn't mattered yet. Hasn't mattered yet. But I mean, it matters to valuation. It should matter to valuation. It hasn't mattered to the stock price yet. Hasn't mattered to stock price performance. Well, conversely, we're in a period where you can start saying, well, the share base compensation when the shares are going up, it actually helps them get more talent, talent. And yeah. that actually like helps them compete. So the more shares they can issue and the higher the stock price, the better. And it's like, yeah, I mean this this works. I, I get it. Return on capital if you're including that <laughs> yeah, share base looks compensation just keeps coming down and down. To be fair, to be fair, they're overstaffed, right? I mean you're staffing for for growth. But the other side of that is like, well shit, I mean if you could let every business go out and just spray money everywhere, maybe they could grow a little bit more too. I don't you definitely I, can. That those are the questions that are tough for me. Especially if it's eighty cent dollars you're giving away. Yeah. Guess what, fellas? That's time. Went by really quickly today. Thanks, everybody. Because the, the technology worked. Today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next Have a good week. Have Bye.